0: The CNBC app: global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts, and market insights—all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today.
1: We have a deal, and uh, I think it's really important. We've all agreed that uh, none of us got what we all that we wanted. I clearly didn't get all I wanted. They gave more than. I think maybe they were inclined to give in the first place
0: u.s president joe biden lauding successful negotiations with bipartisan senators on his 1.2 trillion dollar infrastructure bill but some republicans already criticizing further white house spending plans wall street rallying on the news with the s p 500 and nasdaq both closing at record levels driven by construction stocks moving higher
2: EU leaders opt for a hard stance on Russia, rejecting France and Germany's call for a leaders' summit with President Putin. But Chancellor Merkel continues her push for better ties with Moscow. We couldn't agree on a basis to organize a meeting on a leadership level. Personally, I would have liked to see more courageous steps taken, but this is also good and we will continue to work on it. Chinese ride-hailing app Didi Chuxing seeks valuation in excess of $60 billion as it prepares to list in New York and what could be the biggest IPO of the year.
0: And Guggenheim Partners boss Scott Minard says Bitcoin's moves are being influenced by central bank liquidity as he tells CNBC exclusively where he sees a bottom for crypto. When you look at uh, the technicals, 10,000 would be the real bottom. Um, you know, that's probably a little extreme,
3: so I I would say 15. Morning, Karen. Good
0: morning. Uh, Morning, Jeff, if you're watching. Have a nice line. I he's still asleep. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he is. <laughs> who, who has a Friday off and gets up for school? Box? Right. A lot of you, of course, and absolutely rightly. Right, OK, so uh, this is complicated, OK, because in the headlines, it's like we got a deal, and then afterwards, there were a couple of press conferences, and depending on which one you saw... Uh, whether there's an agreement across the, uh, the the Republicans and the uh, Democrats' divide and what's going to happen with the certain senator from West Virginia. So it is really complicated, but I'll tell you what we know so far, and that is that the U.S. President, Mr. Biden, has reached a deal with a bipartisan group of lawmakers over a $1.2 trillion infrastructure spending package. Now that is, as the president was referring to in that sound we just played, a sharply scaled back version of Mr. Biden's initial proposal. The plan will be tied to, here we go, a separate bill that would increase funding for health care, climate change programs, I think there's some education in there as well, some social care. Uh, and this is the move now that which some Republicans have called a potential deal breaker. Okay, so back to the president. He says the bill would be paid for partly by a rise in internal revenue service budget. Now, I think there's $40 billion plus in there for the IRS as well, which the Democrats say, well, that's going to generate $100 billion as well. So you can see how this is working Uh, and also using unused COVID-19 aid funds. But he did not mention a tax increase on rich people or on corporations very complicated. Speaking at the White House, the president outlined his plans to fund the new spending.
1: We're going to do it all without raising a cent from earners below $400,000. There's no gas tax increase, no fee on electric vehicles. Neither side got everything they wanted in this deal. That's what it means to compromise.
0: Right. So, Mr. Biden also vowed to secure funding for this separate bill linked to the new infrastructure spending with or without Republican support.
1: I'm going to fight like heck to get them the rest of what I think has to be done. On education, for example, my proposal was in the family plan, early education and free community college. I'm going to fight like the devil to get that done. But it's not going to be with Republican help. I'm going to have to get every Democrat and do it through reconciliation if it gets done.
0: And therein lies the problem, because all of you know this by now. There are certain um, conservative Democrats, Joe Manchin. We've talked about him all year. We always said he would be the sticking point in many ways as well. Who just basically have their own issues with the huge amount of spending and how it's going to be paid for uh, from the Democrats as well. So he's talking about the man here, saying, "I can do it with or without the Republicans, but can he do it without all the Democrats on board?" And. That's unlikely.
2: Yeah, the accountants have been pretty creative around this one, uh, playing with what they've already had in existing funds. And just one other point, I couldn't quite decide whether this was a a, a winning speech from a loser or a loser speech. Uh, it was very hard to pick up the tone. Very, you know, to say I won, time, yeah. but I didn't really get what I wanted.
0: I think what he did say. I th- yeah, but I think I think that's. I I think that's a great tactic. I didn't get what I wanted, but I've worked with you guys as well. He promised bipartisan, and this is the first essence of it, but by the second press conference had it all eroded? I mean, that's the question. Right.
2: Let's take a look at the market reaction, though, because we certainly had records on both the Nasdaq and the S&P 500. It's now been a fairly decent week for US markets, uh, mostly in lockstep, roughly about 2.5% gains for all of the major indices, which is remarkable if you think about this twisting and turning that investors have done on the rotation trade towards reflation and then towards technology. But all boats have been floated this week and uh, all the averages roughly in the same territory at this point. But uh, you could see it was slightly split across the board yesterday that infrastructure uh, bill that moved towards uh, funding this mass rollout across the country to upgrade services that are badly in that need of extra support. You can see it was a deal that was more supportive for the Dow at this point versus technology names. Let's take a look at the big construction plays. That's where some of the action was in particular. And you can see bounces across the board. Caterpillar stock in particular 2.6% higher. In terms of the technology space, a lot of appetite still around some of the big growth stories that we're witnessing. Microsoft has been one of them. The company ending the day with a market cap of just over $2 trillion. So it uh, was a significant milestone this coming as the company unveiled Windows 11. That's the first new version of the operating system, the flagship operating system in more than five years. And uh, the stock price does reflect a number of different factors from the success it's had with new apps that it's rolled out during the pandemic, the likes of Teams, the success with Cloud and now there's uh, uh, Windows operating system as well. So if you tally up all the returns that Sachin Adela has delivered during his Tenure, the stock is up 600 percent. So incredible journey as we talk about this market cap. Let's take a look at the dollar and uh, how some of the spending plans impacted uh, the trade. There you can see uh, it's a mixed picture this morning. Sterling peeling back, uh, euro stronger versus the dollars. So. Uh, slightly different across the board and flat versus uh, dolly in at this point. The Asian markets uh, for the Friday session in the green. Uh, the infrastructure spending is uh, certainly seen as a positive. Don't forget markets have been steering around Fed policy of late. And you can see most of the gains around the Hong Kong market, 1.2% there. Also China, eight-tenths higher, but still modestly firmer for Japanese stocks and for the Australian market. The only calls. This is the trade for Friday uh, for European markets. We also look positive. Yesterday was a fairly decent run for some of these markets as they got going over the course of trade, particularly for the French market. We saw some gains there of what, 1.2%. So we're chasing a little bit more this morning to top up for the Friday session. Steve.
0: Brilliant, Karen. Well, look, I know Brian Colton, chief economist at Fitch Ratings, is here to talk about his 2020 vision, which is the bi-monthly survey. But Brian... I, what, what does a Fitch ratings analyst and economist think when he sees trillions of dollars being thrown at the economy? Do you say, great, that's going to buy us growth? Or do you just shake your head and go, oh, my God, we've got to revisit our AAA rating on the states? I think from a
3: macro perspective, uh, when we're looking at uh, getting a bit closer now on, on the infrastructure deal, what you have to remember is that the, the near term impact of the infrastructure on uh, the infrastructure deal on the economy is going to be a lot less than the American rescue plan. The 1.9 trillion passed in March was really unique in terms of its scale and how quickly the money actually went out and got into people's pockets. I don't think it's going to be anything like that in terms of the impacts on economic growth in the next couple of years. It's, it's a very big deal for the medium to long term um, from 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 a uh, from a sort of supply side perspective. You know, could could have some some re- some real benefits, but from a sort of near term forecasting perspective, there's going to be a lot less fiscal support going. Uh, into the U.S. economy from now on. The, the peak was well behind us in March.
0: Brian, look, all the ratings agencies and Fitch do a great job in holding feet to the fire as well. But when you've got the world's reserve currency, which currently has 28 a half trillion dollars of debt and it issues its own greenbacks as well, does it matter in this current environment, does it matter what the ratings agencies say uh, about the debt profile of the world's largest economy?
3: I think you're talking about sort of bond yields and, and 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 treasury yields, you know, which which are affected by lot lots of different things, including the amount of liquidity that central banks globally are putting into the system, and they're still doing that on a on a massive scale. It's still a loosening of Fed policy, uh, you know, by buying 120 billion dollars a month. That's equivalent to cutting interest rates. So uh, there's a lot of different factors that that, that are going into it here.
2: If you take consideration of where the money is coming from, and we've seen lots of tax and then spend governments down the track, but now what we've got in terms of the detail around this particular funding program, it's a repurposing of existing federal funds, PPPs, uh, revenue collected from enhanced enforcement by the IRS. What do you make of uh, how this bill will be funded versus other options where you could see the wealthy uh, have a, a greater tax, but also corporations, which was very much debated at the G7 level?
3: Yeah, I, I think it's probably t- too early to really uh, draw any firm conclusions about that. But clearly, some of the earlier versions of the the infrastructure package that were mooted had a much bigger component of uh, of, of tax increases to fund what was going on. Clearly, that's very very controversial. So this bipartisan deal is is, is taking a, a different approach on that side. But as I said before, if you look at the the net fiscal impact from this infrastructure boom, this infrastructure bill on GDP growth in the next two or three years—it's going to be—it's going to be really, really, a very, very much smaller than what we saw back in back in March. That was the really big fiscal boost to the economy. This is this is a very, 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 very different animal.
2: When we talk about inflation pressures, can we just zero in on the commodity side? Then as we talk about uh, this type of spending program, we've already seen rising commodity prices. They've cooled off a little bit with some action from various governments, uh, particularly the Chinese at this point, to try and uh, tame some of those uh, pricing pressures. But do you think this is a contributor? Do we start to see prices that are stronger for longer because of these infrastructure spending programs?
3: I, I- don't know how commodity intensive this is. This is gonna be. I mean, I, I think China is a much bigger deal, to be honest, in terms of the uh, uh, in terms of the, the Chinese economic cycle, and that is slowing down domestically now because the credit impulse has turned negative. There, we're seeing fixed asset investment slow down quite a lot. Infrastructure is sl- slowing in China, negative year on year in- infrastructure investment. I think over the next couple of years, that's going to be a much bigger deal than than any Im- impact from this. And, and I, as uh, do you think the peak fiscal stimulus is behind us? A lot of that stimulus in March was directed at durable spending. U.S. consumer durable spending 30% above pre-pandemic levels. So a lot of the stimulus has been funneled into, into people buying stuff, and that has been pushing up the price of commodities, been pushing up the price of uh, of semiconductors because the the guys that produce the stuff just haven't been able to keep up with it. I think it's the pace of that recovery which has really been driving things. But that, we think, is going to slow uh, as we get into 2022, 2023, even with this bill.
0: Brian, for the sake of good telly, can I road test one of your assumptions? Uh, and you know, I'll take one side, you'll obviously take the other as well. Uh, I think you're wrong on this. Uh, the, the, basically, that US wage inflation seems unlikely to take off, uh, given the slack in the US jobs market. There you go. I'm going to say you're wrong on that one, because there are 9.3 million openings out there that just can't be filled. That is a record level, sir. Um
3: i think there's sectors of the economy which are really really squeezed because they're opening very very quickly every restaurant in the us has been trying to trying to hire people hire people in the next in the last two or two or three months it's a very very labor intensive sector leisure and transport uh, i think i think the speed at which this is coming back is 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 a factor but if I'm thinking about the next two years are we going to see a wage and price spiral where workers are going to be able to push up wage claims aggressively see much stronger real wages in the context of being still seven eight million jobs down on where we were pre-pandemic I just don't I just don't see it so I think this will ease as we get later in the year if you look at some of the macro measures of wage inflation in the u.s they're not they're not accelerating average earnings index three month or three month if you look at the Atlanta fed uh, which is a which is a, a you know a matched measure of people in the same jobs that's been that's been sl- that's been slowing down so i think the macro analysis if you look at the share of the in, of the working age population that's, that's that's got a job it's still way way down at 50 58% so i think the macro picture on the labor market uh, will will come through after a few months of 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 pressure because of the sheer pace of, of of increase that we're seeing at the moment remember the unemployed people are in the leisure and transport sector that's that's where the people lost their jobs Uh, and that's where the jobs are being rehired. So it's not a question of there being a mismatch. You you had people made unemployed in the manufacturing sector, but the jobs are being created in the service sector. The jobs are being created in precisely where uh, people are, people are, 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 are going are, are to be needing work. But I think there's a few health sector issues that are still uh, health issues and sort of childcare issues that are preventing people from going back to work. I think that will all change as we get into September, October.
0: It's a great debate, and I love your answer as well. But I can think of 9.1 trillion reasons why uh, there is going to be a tighter labour market as well. I mean, 6 trillion of climate package, uh, 1.9 trillion of coronavirus stimulus, and 1.2 trillion we just mentioned on infrastructure as well. That creates tightness, surely.
3: These are five eight year uh, eight year programs, right? You, you're, this, this is going to be spread over uh, a, a long period of time, so. Um, yes, it, it, it will probably it will probably make the U.S. economy more capital intensive. I'm not sure how labor intensive it's 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 going to be. There's going to be some extra construction as a re, as a result, but this is going to be very very spread out. Uh, don't don't expect this to be a, a big bang in 2022 in terms of growth uh, and 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 labor demand. You know, the, you've heard the phrase "shovel ready ready projects." I mean. I don't know how many of these things are just ready to go like right now. I mean, remember the stimulus checks went out straight away. People got, those, people got those within a couple of weeks of the bill being passed. This is going to be a much more slow burn thing in terms of its impact on, on the labor market. Don't get me wrong. U.S. growth is going to be strong. It's going to be above trend. I think the labor market is going to enter overheating territory at some point in the next two or three years. But we think that's more of a 2023 story, maybe second half of next year, uh, rather, rather than the next six months.
2: Brian, you've been assessing 20 major economies. Which ones stand out uh, to be decent performers at this point, given how they've weathered uh, the COVID crisis? And which ones do you have concerns about?
3: Well, you've got to remember, although there's divergence, you know, it's a pretty good year for growth all around the world. Um, I, th- I think probably where we would maybe highlight things, I mean, you know, we, we've been above consensus on the Eurozone for quite a while. We've got 5% growth forecast there. Uh, you know, we, we, we're sticking with that. Was now in- increasing evidence of the, of the reopening benefit to the, to the Eurozone economy. Look at the services, PMIs that come out this week for Germany. Um, uh, uh, so, so that, that, that economy is, is, definitely, is definitely coming back pretty, pretty quickly. UK, six and a half seven percent 7% growth this, this year as well. US, 7%. I think maybe the area where things are sort of lagging a bit on the relative front, but not in absolute growth terms, but on a relative front, is emerging markets ex-China. Uh, countries like India, where we've had to downgrade our forecast. Um, uh, in, in Indonesia, we, we've, we've, we've softened our forecast as well. The vaccine rollout being slower in emerging markets, there having been a lot less macro fiscal, still a lot of fiscal support, but nowhere near as much as in the advanced countries. So I think it's that emerging market, Markets ex China group, the, you know the, the the big the big the big emerging markets generally not looking in relative terms like they having such a such a such a good recovery relative to historical growth rates. still absolute growth rates are still pretty good. But if you look at our projections as to where those economies are going to be in a couple of years relative to where we thought they would be before the pandemic, the gap there is bigger than for the uh, for the, the G seven.
2: Brian, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Brian Colton with us chief economist at Fitch Ratings. And Chinese ride hailing giant Didi is aiming for a valuation of more than $60 billion in its New York debut. The listing is likely to be the largest US IPO of 2021 that comes amid a regulatory crackdown on Chinese, China's biggest tech platforms. Asan Vardas has more on the story.
4: China's biggest ride-hailing company, Diddy, has revealed more details about its plans for a mega IPO stateside. It says it's picked the New York Stock Exchange for the listing under the ticker code Diddy, where it will offer 288 million ADSs with an estimated price range of $13 to $14 a pop, which could raise more than $4 billion. So Diddy is aiming for a valuation of $60 billion, which could make it one of the biggest share offerings by a Chinese company in the US since Alibaba's massive IPO. Back in 2014. So, this could be a big win for shareholders, Uber and SoftBank. The company is also backed by Chinese tech giants, Alibaba and Tencent. Now, Diddy is the dominant ride hailing app in China and it also operates in 16 countries. The company did take a hit from the pandemic. Revenue was down almost 10% last year, but it kicked off 2021 on a stronger note, posting 107% growth in Q1, generating $6.4 billion in revenue. And so, the The timing is good here, given the demand for ride-hailing is starting to bounce back. But there is still intense competition in this market from the likes of Uber. Now, while ride-hailing is Diddy's core business, it has tried to differentiate itself by expanding into other areas like fintech and community group buying. And so that may be an important message Diddy may have to try to get across to investors, and particularly at a time when it's reportedly become one of the most high-profile targets in China's crackdown on its massive internet sector. In Singapore, I'm Sam Vardas, back to you.
2: For more on that story, you can head to cnbc.com where we have a full analysis of Didi's listing prospectus. Right,
0: coming up on this show, European leaders rejecting calls from Berlin and Paris to reopen dialogue with Russia. We'll discuss that next.
2: And don't forget, if you want more on Biden's new infrastructure deal and the obstacles it faces before final approval, you can check out the Squawk Box podcast. Calls from Paris and Berlin to reopen dialogue with Russia were met with fierce resistance from other leaders at Thursday's European Council meeting. Emmanuel Macron and Angela Merkel had hoped to open up discussions following Joe Biden's summit with the Russian President Vladimir Putin earlier this month. But the Council instead released a statement urging the Commission to consider tightening sanctions. Let's get out to Sylvia for more. Sylvia, we're talking about major players here, and even from the lens of the French President Emmanuel Macron, he's typically a power broker and uh, likes to have some form of a solution to to major world affairs. On this particular uh, story, it feels as though the Americans have had the jump on the relationship with Russia and any reset that may happen from here, but it feels like the Europeans are being left behind. So just walk us through some of the tensions that European partners are feeling.
5: Right. So when the summit started yesterday, we saw that the French and the German wanted to restart talks with Russia. There was even a a mention of a potential EU-Russia summit. I have to say, though, that the German and the French officials were very quick to clarify that they were not asking for a summit as of yet. But they are indeed keen to engage with Russia once again. The problem here, though, is that for some European member states, that is very controversial in particular the Baltic nations, who believe that there has been uh, no change in behavior whatsoever from Russia that warrants some sort of dialogue with the Russian authorities. And in this context, let's take a look at some of the remarks from the Lithuanian president overnight.
1: I think it's
2: too early because we, so far, we don't see any radical changes of behavior, of pattern of behavior of Vladimir Putin. and. To try to engage uh, is of course a very good idea, but to engage without any red lines, without any preconditions, of course it would be a very wrong signal, I would say. Not only to uh, us, uh, to our societies, especially to the societies of Baltic countries, but also to our partners. And for them it would be a huge disappointment what we are doing after 2014 as we decided to just to react what is happening in Ukraine.
5: And what the leaders decided last night was to set clear demands for the Kremlin. And uh, if indeed uh, these demands are met, then uh, the Europeans would be happy to restart dialogue with the Russian authorities. Now, that was not uh, the outcome uh, that uh, the Chancellor of Germany, Angela Merkel, was after. Nonetheless, she did say that she was not disappointed. And uh, in fact, this was something that she could work with. Let's take a look.
4: We have done with... We discussed the topic of Russia.
2: It was a very engaging, but not an easy discussion. We outlined our conditions for how we would like to communicate and coordinate, and we will now establish formats, or rather work towards establishing formats and preconditions under which we can create new dialogues. We couldn't agree on a basis to organize a meeting on a leadership level, but it's important to me that we maintain a dialogue and develop it going forward. Personally, I would have liked to see more courageous steps taken, but this is also good and we will continue to work on it.
5: So Let's see how this debate will evolve among the 27, but for the time being, though, it just seems too early for the EU as a whole to engage with Russia in a similar way that we saw uh, the US engaging with the president of Russia, Vladimir Putin, a couple of days ago.
0: Sylvia, I'm just on the EU website looking at the sanctions that have been placed since the annexation of Crimea in 2014. And quite frankly, the Russians kind of sometimes dismiss these as ineffective. 177 people, 48 entities, uh, sanctions against both individuals and those entities as well. Uh, Various assets are frozen, what have you. But I mean, bearing in mind when we've got one of the largest pipelines of gas in the world ever about to start flowing to Europe with 55 uh, billion cubic metres of gas potentially a year, uh, could be sent to uh, the EU from Russia as well. Do the sanctions have any bite compared to the economic reality that is the huge trading relationship between Russia and the EU at the moment? That's a very
5: good point. But in fact, what we hear from the different uh, European leaders is that uh, sanctions do work. And in fact, that was actually the statement from the Estonian prime minister yesterday when she arrived at the council, uh, saying that uh, the economic sanctions are indeed an important tool and an effective one. Having said that, it's important to bear in mind as well that the leaders did say and did agree to write in that joint communique that uh, the commission should prepare further sanctions against Russia in case of uh, any sort of uh, uh, what the EU describes as a malign, some sort of malign um, activity uh, from the Russian authorities. So the EU is still very much pursuing with economic sanctions and still sees this as an effective tool going forward. But we do have to keep in mind as well the fact that this relationship just seems to be deteriorating uh, month after month. And I recall uh, what happened back in February when uh, the Foreign Affairs Chief of the EU traveled to the Kremlin and uh, there was that press conference where uh, the Russian Foreign Affairs Minister standing next to the EU's Foreign Affairs Chief saying that the EU is an unreliable partner and this event was not forgotten. in fact, was indeed mentioned by some of the leaders yesterday as a sign that it is just too early to re-engage with the Russian authorities. So it's an important debate to keep monitoring. All right.
0: And you're going to talk to us about Hungary a little bit later on. Extraordinary scenes between the Ruta and Battelle and Orban as well. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.